This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 285. When you think about it, what actually even really is the mid-game? And like, if, if it exists, what like does it even exist? Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Episode 285, what is this episode about? (laughs) Is this episode or show about anything? This is episode 285. Hi, hello. Hi. Uh, hi, Hunter. This is an episode we're going to try to do. Hello, yes. This is an episode. Uh, you pitched this episode. I want to remind everyone of that. Uh, in the season (laughs) premiere... You were like, this one. We're going to do this one. I actually and I, listened to you pitch it. You pitched it with such confidence. I still you like came the in, idea. You I came in like hot. It. I, listen, I always knew that it was this open-ended of a thing. But I do regret call, ever saying it would be called a guide to the mid-game. This will not, yeah. Today will not be a guide, per se. That doesn't make sense for what this thing is going to be. But, um, hey, can we do some business first? Real quick. Yes, hey, please. Uh, hey, please. hey, something I should have said last week. Uh, we finally did it. Okay, everybody, we have a di- we have a date, and ho- uh, I think it's gonna stick. I think it's gonna stick. Boy, it just keeps that keeps not happening. But we're gonna knock on wood, and we're gonna say that the Invitational Finals. What was that? Invitational Finals. When was the Invitational? Yes, November. Shut up. Invitational Finals are gonna be February eighteenth at thirteen hundred. UTC. We finally got a new date that everybody. Yes. This has been the hardest of any game we've ever had to schedule in scpt history this this has been yep. a tricky set of players to all find the right time it's just been a tough one okay that's how it works sometimes y'all have been there y'all, y'all have had a six player game planned and then it turns into a five player game at the last minute in your irl mm-hmm. life well guess what we don't mm-hmm. get to do that with the invitational finals we have to have all six players show up and that's that's been easier said than done but i think we're finally going to get it and i'm very excited to finally see the conclusion to this year's last year's invitational <laughs> to last year's invitational we will finally find out what happened last year <laughs> um another announcement this one very very exciting we finally have everything solidified for the uh what we're gonna call scpt con okay or no we have a better name yeah. than that hunter uh, well what is it what what are we calling it's it? the scpt hootenanny it's the space cats peace turtles hootenanny <laughs> the space cats peace turtles hootenanny will be taking place in portland oregon of all places uh it it, it culminates with uh an opening ceremonies mm-hmm. which is uh our our night uh at the helium comedy club in portland oregon um, it's going to be on Wednesday, uh, March 22nd, starting at 8 p.m., so get your tickets now, okay? It's spring break. I know you can show up. I know you'll be there, okay? <laughs> I talked to somebody uh, in person in New York who told me they were flying to Portland yeah. for the show. 
Yeah. Hey, and when they said that, I was like, I feel guilty. Hey, Cody. But, uh, that, that's real messed up you're doing that, Cody. I'm no, real. Cody's doing it. Let Cody do it. Okay. It's what Cody wants to do. What are you going to stop Cody no, from doing? No, what Cody wants? Never. Don't take uh, it away from Cody. After, so, after Wednesday yeah, night ahead. is two days at Mock's Boarding House. They are opening early for us so that we can squeeze in as much gaming as possible. So at the Mock's Boarding House in Portland, Oregon from 10 a.m. till close Thursday and Friday. You know, this is an open-ended kind of thing. We would like to maybe do like some sort of tournament, but that's like a low-key part of it. We just want to play games with everybody and hang out with everybody. And yes. there's food and drink and games, and we're just going to have a blast for two days, Thursday and Friday. So Wednesday night show, Thursday, Friday gaming, and then Saturday and Sunday, we're still in Portland, but things get sort of more nebulous in terms of like what we're do we just like want to do Portland stuff with people? So like, just come do like, let's go eat food and things like that. It's a, it's a little bit weirder. Yeah, we're planning. Uh, there will probably be some sort of brunch meetup on Saturday. Yeah. Um, which will be March 25th. Uh, and then perhaps a nighttime visit to Quarter World or someplace like that, which is a if you don't know an arcade in Portland. Um, but we're still talking about options there. Yeah. Uh, basically, you come to Portland or you live in Portland, or you live in the area, yep. you come descend on the city, and we hang out for a week. Yeah, a whole and community games. just hangs out and does whatever we want to do. Um, we will. You'll hear this announcement a lot more at the top of episodes here soon. We're, we're getting things together where there will be just an ad at the start of every episode that reminds you of this. Um, but there will also be an Eventbrite thing to just kind of have a more laid out details of what is ha happening um then there's also of course you can go to portland.heliumcomedy.com and search on the calendar for our show that's the one thing that is actually ticketed so if you want to go to the yes. live show go to the helium website and get your tickets in advance it's the it's the best way to guarantee a seat although i don't i don't suspect we'll run out of seats there but we ran out of gen con so who knows sky's the limit right um but the mocks stuff there's no tickets just come just come hang out with us you don't have to do anything um, right you'll be allowed to sign up on the eventbrite and that will help us later on to have an idea of how many people are going so that we can sort of plan accordingly but there is no ticketed requirement for thursday through sunday of anything yeah, I would encourage you to sign up on the Eventbrite, though, because knowing how many people we'll have will make it easier for me and Matt to plan what types of games yeah. we want to play. Obviously, we're going to be playing Twilight Imperium. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't don't get freaked. It's going to be <laughs> TI. But depending on who we have, we might, you know, there's some talk of things, right. you know. We there's... might attempt the 25-player <laughs> canonical game of Twilight Imperium. That might be something we do. I don't I, know. I don't know. I like the idea of it being one super mega game where, I mean, if let's let's say, let's say we have 75 people at this thing. 25 yeah. factions, three people teams, every faction piloted by a team, a squadron of three Oh folks. my God. Hunter's eyes just ballooned out of his skull. <laughs> a, a squadron. Yes. A squadron for every faction. How, how about it? We need a canonical map of yeah. this universe. I think one of Every exists. game. We're just making up a new map, yeah. and I, I think that's silly. Enough I think I think it's time to build the real one and yeah. decide who actually uh, wins the dang thing yeah. and then write that into Legend. And yes. then if there is a TI 5th edition, it will have to use you know this canonical game as its foundation. Absolutely. Uh, hey, one other point of order. I have some errata. Boy, doesn't it feel like a hot minute since we've done uh, any like proper errata? Feels like it to me. Yeah. Um, but we do have errata because last week, this is mostly a me thing because I just sort of glazed over some stuff. We were talking about the Mahawked Gene Sorcerers, and specifically we were talking about the Mahawked Promissory Note, and I got 
jumbled up in the wording of the promissory note because I thought that if Mahawks didn't have tokens in their own fleet pool, they would then not be affected by their own promissory note. And thus, it would be best to get your tokens out before you start giving away your promissory note. But that's foolish because the promissory note says your entire command sheet. If you have command tokens on your command sheet at large, then that's how this whole thing works, which means that's not going to happen. You're not going to have no tokens on your especially at the start of the strategy phase because guess what at the end of the status phase you add two tokens to your sheet and there's not that many there's only one way you can remove two tokens from your sheet in the agenda phase okay so you're not well okay i say that and then people are going to come at me with weird other ways that you can lose sanction yeah sanction exactly so anyway on both it's extremely rare that you're going to uh, not have any tokens on your sheet at all at the start of a strategy phase when someone would be playing the promissory note so Anyways, that's a whole thing. You, you can't avoid the promissory note being bad. That's the point of the errata is it's just not that great of a promissory note. It's it's highly situational is a better way to put it. Yeah, I just uh, and I didn't correct you, Matt, because I didn't think about the promissory note very much <laughs> because it was unimportant to the <laughs> overall right. kit of Mahawk. I did see some other this wasn't pushback or, or errata or anything, but people just kind of being like, Y'all said many times we're not going to talk about genetic recombination, and I, it's just hard for me to understand why we're not going to talk about genetic recombination. So I do, I do want to put in maybe this. This is a great little beautiful summation I saw in the errata last week, or in the in the uh-huh. channel last week. A summation of why we're not talking about genetic recombination. Slander says there's two major problems with it. One, you need an agenda you care about where there's a disagreement. And where negating a single player out of five enables you to win the vote. That's a very specific situation that could easily not come up at all in the entire game, let alone after you've researched genetic recombination. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, the the other one was too, the target can opt out by being negating a losing... can be negated by losing a fleet token, which puts a pretty low ceiling on the value of an already rare agenda you can seize with genetic recombination. That's why this thing doesn't matter. People were trying to come up with the situations like, hey, I can cut one person out of the vote, though. But it's like, think about how often cutting a single person, one specific single person out of a vote, how often does that matter? Like, never. Yeah. Okay, there we go. We did it. We covered yeah. the bad things about Mahawk that we didn't want to cover in the big Mahawk episode. <laughs> Yeah, we off-put it until this one. Yeah. Which, uh, who even knows if a lot of those people listen to this episode in addition? Who cares, <laughs> I say. I say, if you if you listen to both episodes, you deserve all of the nuggets, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. That's how it works. That's how we do this show. Absolutely. Uh, but it is time now for this proper thing of, first and foremost, trying to figure out what we're even talking about when we talk about the mid-game... Yeah, what are we talking about when we're talking about what we're talking about? <laughs> Welcome to Matt's Ambiguity Zone, hosted by Matt, Hello. with special guest me. I'm your um, host, and I'm also a player. It's that ambiguous. Uh, so the mid-game, the first and foremost, I want to put out the idea that really the only reason the mid-game exists as a term is because more often we do, in fact, talk about the early game and we talk about the late game. That's those mm-hmm. are those are defined things that we talk about. So the issue with the mid game and the the point of this episode is to explore what that space between is supposed to mean if it really means anything at all. 
which I think is maybe the question we will try to answer is if it means anything at all by the end of this episode. So I'm going to, I'm going to dissent many times yeah, yeah. during this episode. Many times I will dissent because I think that Matt's point of view on this subject <laughs> does, seems disconnected and I'm not really sure how we got <laughs> this different on this particular subject. Well, but a I just reminder. Go ahead and push back. I want to go ahead and push back on something you've already said. Uh-huh. And I will know each time I'm going to come back in and, and push back more. <laughs> We talk about the mid-game plenty uh-huh. on the show. A majority of the things that we say yeah. on this show about the game apply to the mid-game. Okay. It's just, I think the 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 confusion that's happening with, it's not just you, it's it's also people that gave pre-errata on this idea. I think there's some confusion as to when you are talking about the mid-game because when you're talking about the early game or the late game, we know that you're talking about that. Right. But I would I would claim that a majority, if you're talking about the game at all, you are probably talking about the mid game. Right. Because it's like 90, it's the six out of eight hours that you play the yeah. game there, is probably the mid game. There's no way, I just want to point out, <laughs> there's no philosophical way that we have a podcast about Twilight Imperium <laughs> We've never... where we do not somehow talk about a majority of the game. Okay. And I sensed in preparing this episode, and even when the topic was proposed, this sense that like, in what way is this not covered every single week? Yeah, yeah. Well, but here we are. I'll say this, though. I like putting a finer point on things. I mean, listen, we're on our, like, third slash fourth run of faction guides. We talk about a lot of things a lot of times on this show. So if, mm-hmm. if, if we're repeating some facts today, excuse me, but it's just to have a nice, clean place for those facts to live in a new context. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that we're going to be repeating ourselves. I'm just saying I this am. is kind of a <laughs> we're thinking about thinking about stuff yeah, kind yeah. of no absolutely kind of subject. It's very much that kind. That's why this is no longer called a guide because we're thinking about thinking about stuff. So, anyways, let's put more concrete definitions on the other two things that are much 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 easier to define. So, first and foremost is the early game. Obviously, the early game is the beginning of the game. That's like, well, doy. But more importantly, like, when does the early game end? What is happening in the early game? So uh, by my definition, I think one of the core elements of the early game is just it's when we're doing our opening expansion. Like, everyone has to take planets on the map. You would not be able to do well in the game if you just sat in your home system. Uh, at the start of the game like you have to go take neutral territories and then that determines what hunters already already dissenting it uh, i would like to dissent uh <laughs> matt what if you didn't though because here's what you would have here's what you would have you would save three tokens oh no the economics the the are we going to talk nine, economically <laughs> nine influence value yeah 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 that you are saving mm. yourself mm-hmm you would come in. This point take, was literally brought up in the pre-order by Torin, so thank you. I'm not yeah. not in not in an expanding maybe, the neutral planets, but it did sort of get addressed. <laughs> I just want to throw it out there. Maybe you shouldn't be taking planets if you don't have to. <laughs> well, actually, I can't. What is there a single? Are there any objectives you could score without taking any planets? Uh, lead from the front. <laughs> if you take trade a lot, you can ach- accomplish the 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 economic objectives, and that's about it. You could do if tech, you're Hakan, yeah. If you're Hakan and you take trade, 
you could have a really great round one without activating any systems and taking any planets. And I actually think that it maybe would be a yeah. worthwhile experience. Yeah. And like you said, if lead for the front just comes out, just try it. One game where lead from the front is your first objective. Just see what happens when you take no, <laughs> when you take no planets. See well, see, that's actually, that's bad because you're not saving anything, <laughs> sure. are you? You're no. spending for lead from the front <laughs> and then you're, you have no planets. So that seems pretty bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but so, so I, I think that's the most basic thing you're doing round one too, though, is, is you're just kind of sort of getting whatever planets you can. I think a core other aspect of the early game is the early game exists in a time when Mechatol Rex has not been taken, right? The the fact mm-hmm. that Custodians isn't taken, you stop really probably being in the early game once Custodians has been taken. Although that's not true for everybody, right? Some people have a really bad round one and then someone takes Mechatol, but round two is still like, hey, listen, I'm just trying to figure out my thing over here, okay? Um, maybe y'all are in the mid game, but I'm a little bit still in the early game over here, and that, yeah. that might last through round two for some folks. Okay, Descent. Um, <laughs> I think maybe we shouldn't even call it the early game. Oh, uh-oh. Because I actually think that perhaps that, maybe this is the problem, mm-hmm. actually. The reason that we're having this ambiguity zone episode where we're thinking about thinking about stuff I think I may have zeroed in on on what the issue is. Maybe instead of calling it the early game, we should call it the pre-game. Because the way I think of it is before Custodians is taken, it's like you're playing a mini-game with its own objective, which is to to set up and to take Custodians if possible. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, Uh, too, because honestly, like, Milty Draft is a part of that, right? Picking your faction and Slice is about, and and, and specifically in Milty Draft, what your speaker order is round one. Like, you are playing that whole minigame from the second you sit down if you're doing a Milty Draft, and a lot of other draft methods, for that matter. Right. I mean, so so often in tournament prep, people play until custodians gets taken and that's like a practice session is to just figure out how to do the draft and how to do the who how to do custodians basically right right yeah i i think that could be it that could be it if we changed it to (laughs) pre-game and then but then what's the pre pre so what's the pre pre pre-game what's your research before the day of what's what is listening to space cats peace turtles you're trying to trick me big al defined pre-game as listening to space cats peace turtles (laughs) okay 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 all right fine fine that's that's the preparatory preparatory i can't speak today preparatory period is listening to space cast peace turtles Uh and also i don't want to include that quit listening to the show everybody just stop (laughs) if this this episode can be evidence of why you should stop (laughs) yeah listen you need to start thinking about how you're spending your time and like try to seriously try and do something better you know what i mean learn to build Um, a birdhouse all right yeah in your soul you could learn all kinds of stuff right now you know and you're listening to us uh, thinking about thinking about stuff yeah uh so then okay so we changed early game into the pre-game pre-game and then the mid game can be the early game oh interesting okay and what's so the late early game? early and late and the late game There's is the no game mid. the late game is <laughs> no, the game no yeah 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 ah, <laughs> early game late game no so pre-game early game late game no mid game <laughs> great that, that way <laughs> there's no confusion okay if that makes you sleep at night I, that sounds great uh it make uh, me sleep and another thing that happens i don't know that this is a specific goal in mind although it's a thing you that players keep in mind um but the early game is somewhat defined by establishing the borders and your relationships with your neighbors i think this is especially true in tournament play when we're talking about the idea of literally just 
sitting down with five people you don't know, something you're doing in the early game is kind of testing the waters of what these other people are like. So just from, yeah. a, from a social aspect and a metagame perspective, the early game is like, hey, when I pop trade in round one, what's the feeling on X minus ones? And that the answer to that question answers a lot more than people's feelings on X minus one. It kind of answers how we intend to do trade deliberations going forward. Yeah, like what are the customs yes. <laughs> with this group? You know, what's the protocol? What's the etiquette? Uh -huh. Taking yeah. the temperature on things like that, figuring out, you know, what what kind of game is this going to yeah. be? Yeah. That's something that happens in the uh, pregame or as we used to call it, the early game. Yeah, yeah. In the post-early game, now pregame, uh, another thing I think that is essential for some factions more than others is uh, our focus on early game tech. I think there's a big focus in like round one about like whether or not you're affording tech because you have to do specific yeah. things. I mean, this is mostly related to like folks that are going to try to get gravity drive right but gravity drive is sometimes related to custodians but it's also related to in general it's a part of that expanding to neutral planets kind of stuff and just like solidifying your position so i think tech is sort of a, an adjacent thing to your early game expansion for a lot of factions yeah absolutely it's going to decide a lot of your like pace as far as positioning goes yeah. and it's just going to determine like what you're capable of uh right. you know getting done in the in the early game slash mid game right. uh versus the pre-game slash early game <laughs> um i also just remembered something matt i remembered that in our original soul guide in base game we used to say oh it's so cool you can get gravity drive and that will get you to mechatol rex so you can get custodians or you can just take a random equidistant uh-huh I don't know why we would just say, oh, say it's so stuff. cool to have a tech just so you can take an equidistant <laughs> for no reason. Like, I don't know. Like, because I, that used I, to be rare because getting to an equidistant early used to be like the the mark of a good thing. You know what I mean? Like nobody had movement hardly. It was so, it was oh, so yeah, much more rare. Right. You know, some people literally survived off their single carrier at home and struggled to even get a second carrier on the board round one. So like actually getting to an equidistant mattered in base game, I would yeah. say. Yeah, base game, which a lot of these uh, a lot of these new shrimps out here don't even know about. <laughs> base game was oh, it was rough. It I'm was excited hard. to a lot return don't to know it. About it. Yeah, we need to go. We need to go feel it out again for ourselves. Um, and my last point for early game, and this is just something that you are doing in early game these days, is in round one you're scoring if you can, right? And that that's the question you try to answer right away. Like at the top of the round, you see the objectives, you see the flop, as it were. And you yeah. determine right away whether or not it's realistic if you can score or not. because and, and that decision changes the rest of your game. You really, really want to score because you need it for all of the tempo reasons we've talked about in many episodes. But if you do not score, it means drastically different things for your mid-game. You enter a new kind of mid-game depending on whether or not you scored early. Yeah. Now, when you say mid-game, of course, you mean early game, right? Or no? This, yes? You are committing sabotage to this concept is oh, what I've realized. Ab absolutely. absolutely. Muddy the waters as much as possible. You know, a random thought I'm having right now that I'll just throw in <laughs> this discussion. Uh, just kind of just, you know, I'll just throw this in. Uh, lately, I've been doing this thing. This is a good little piece of advice. Um, a lot of times, I'll be like early in the speaker order, uh, round one. And I'll be like, ooh, I can't score unless someone takes diplomacy. And what I do 
is I will look at the last person in order and see if diplomacy would be the difference between them scoring or mm -hmm. not. And then if it would be, then I just depend on the other person taking Diplo. If it wouldn't be, no matter how high I am in speaker order, if I'm not getting custodians, I just take Diplo. Yeah. That's starting to become just a thing. Yeah. Like, for me, more often than not, it's cool if you want your fancy, schmancy <laughs> Everything strategy <else. laughs> card that does whatever thing. But basically, round one, I really only have the priority of uh well custodians and then uh what make me score a lot mm -hmm. of times that's trade and then after trade it's pretty much diplo yeah. almost every time except right. for if you know if you're playing a weird faction with tech tech might actually make a difference but to me in my in my perfect world the way round one strategy phase would go is first player trade second player politics third player diplo if it looks like no one else will take it. Mm. Uh, otherwise, they take other things and just try and force that last person to take Diplo. However, lately I've been noticing whenever I do depend on someone else to take Diplo, they don't take it. Yeah. And that and that made me sad. Yeah. Anyways. The world really changed. We, we Diplo used to be a really different thing, huh? Used to, it used to be a almost never take round one. It was literally worse to take than anything else. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. But that was a long time ago. That was a long now. time ago. I mean, that yeah. was a really long time ago at that <laughs> point. That's, I mean, I barely even remember those days. It was also a different Diplo, like a, 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 complete, a literally different wording of the Diplo. Uh, so Yeah. Um, okay, so I think those are some things that sort of help us help guide us on what specifically early game is. What is late game then? Like when does late game maybe start for some people and what are some things that define late game? Um, I think a key ingredient of late game and some people do this game long, but I think a key ingredient of like knowing you're firmly in the late game is when everybody cares about speaker control or at the very least cares about their position in speaker order when, like when that matters the most you know starting around oh. four you like super duper care whereas i feel like you see more shenanigans early on with speaker stuff because it's like i don't know this thing's going to end up anywhere but i think just the knowledge i mean maybe maybe a better way to word this is less about speaker control and more about when when you start counting your windslay carousel right the windslay carousel sort of is also speaker order in some respects and that's kind of what I'm d describing is like the late game is when we start focusing on the carousel. I dissent. Okay. Um, I think speaker control uh, does is not a late game thing. Just speaker control game. is already has all game thing. Yeah. It's always important where the speaker is, except for maybe round two. Right. I don't know. Right. I mean, round two, it is important because whoever, uh, whoever's first, yeah. whoever has it is probably custodians. Although it seems like that's not that true. I need to like one thing I need to do to improve my own game is literally just go through it and write down all the factions that can do custodians round one because I keep forgetting. Yeah, yeah. I keep playing in <laughs> games. I'll be like in a game with like Sar or something, and I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get custodians, and then I forget that like, dude, Sar can just do that. Sar just like gets I don't it. really. It's not even that hard. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I get a little confused about that. Um, but yeah, so my descent is this: speaker control. For me, late game starts at different times for different players. Yes. Depending on your tempo, you enter the late game when you can envision the 10 points. Right. And you have like a very good idea of what those 10 points are going to be. I think that's when your late game yeah. starts. Um, for some players, that, you know, a, a player that doesn't have to score a stage two in order to win, that could be really early. Yeah. yeah. You know, because stage ones, you can just assume that you can score almost all of them. Um, 
So therefore, you know, you can right. kind of go ahead and start planning your your exit, your what your way out of this uh, nightmare. Right. But uh, the other some of the other players, they got to wait till that stage two flips. Right. Um, and I would say a majority of the players that is. So for me, it's when the first stage two flips. That's the beginning of the late game because generally speaking, everyone knows. You know, if they can score the stage two, then they can probably get to ten. Yeah. Uh, if they can't, then they need a round six. Right. Um. So that and you know. I guess they technically haven't entered their late game by my definition, but needing a round six may as well be right. your late game right. plan. Yeah, you know, the the, the that, fact that, that games point. basically don't go to round seven means like round six is definitively late game for everybody, whether you're relevant or not. <laughs> you're either in the late game or you're not. That doesn't mean you're still in the mid game. It means you're not in the game anymore if you're not in the late game in round six, basically. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the, the way I sort of defined it was you know and i like the way you put it hunter of just like no if you know your path to 10 if you know exactly what it now looks like then that's definitively in the late game i i kind of word that as if you know whether or not you are protecting a lead or you need to come from behind i kind of define needing a stage two as essentially coming from behind although it doesn't always look like that i mean being able to just easily score stage two can make you be the person with the lead right i mean joan right. r on speaker token with the the tech objectives coming out bam they're in the lead but right tempo wise protecting a tempo lead or and not even necessarily a lead but like being in a part of the leading pack right feels different than still needing to figure stuff out but once you know whether or not you are trying to careen yourself forward or maintain some level of stasis to find that 10th point yeah I, I think that's what defines the late game is is everybody that's in the late game knows what it takes for them to get to 10 points and if you don't have any clue what it takes for you to get to 10 points you're probably still in the mid game. Yeah. Or, or as we call it now, the early game or now. The early um, game. Yeah. 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 You, you've exited the pregame. You're in the early game and the late game is yet to happen for you. It is weird that in twilight Imperium, uh, all of the players are not always in the same phase right. of the game. Right. But I do think that's really telling of just like how TI works, right. uh, is that you should not consider your position to be, uh, the same, like the whole way of another player thinking that has the tempo in order to get to 10, like before a stage two mm -hmm. is on a whole nother level right. than you having to wait to see the, the flip of this one card in order to plan out their entire right. ending game. Well, and it drastically aspect. changes your actual goals, right? I mean, if we're going to say that for one player round four is the mid game and another player, it's their end game. The whole the whole goal of that player who is in the mid game still is to turn the late game players game into their mid game. Right. Like you have to make it yeah. to where they no longer can win at the end of round four. You need to put everybody in the same boat of round five being what matters. So, yeah, that you but that doesn't mean you're in the late game. That means you're delaying <laughs> the end of the game ending before you find a path to 10, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Matt, I noticed something that you wrote in the script for this mm -hmm. it's a line i'm going to just read it as written right here it says the problem is that the mid game is the bad part of the game mm -hmm. what does that mean you like, what said do you mean? that just to be clear i typed that as you said it <laughs> i did not say that <laughs> yes you did. 
or you, you may well, have said the worst said part that, of the Matt? game. We started this episode and I right know. away I'm like, there is no mid game. Yeah. It does not exist. Well, you so said how am it I earlier. also <laughs> supposedly saying that the mid game is the bad part of the game? It's the whole game. Uh-huh. How is it the bad part? It's because it's the, the part where part? nobody knows what is going on. Nobody knows you're just sort of spinning plates and hoping things shape up in a way that like the game is figuring out the 10 point conclusion stuff the round the reason we at the commentary desk complain about round three is because most often a lot of players don't even need to hardly do anything they can just sort of like score the couple points and that's all they need to do and then you see people spend a lot of mental energy trying to accomplish a lot of goals that we view as superfluous because they're not actually directly related to anything and they're all just banking on ideas of stuff that could come up or or making aggressive moves that may or may not pay off in any meaningful sense um but defining why players are doing those things is like what i was after in today's thing is deciding yeah why do players make these maybe seemingly superfluous decisions and why are they not always superfluous right what are they actually trying to achieve that might not be you know it's not just obviously getting them the sixth planet outside a home but it that, that doesn't mean it's not for something right there's there are other yeah. goals taking place inside of the mid game yeah i don't know i guess it's like the time where you could most invest any extra effort or resources you have into something extra that may or may not pay off and what are the smart things you could invest in right uh i don't know it kind of mostly i feel like this is dictated by action actually yeah most from a faction standpoint it's pretty obvious like what things you could use to kind of extract extra value for yourself right Uh, that's kind of what i fall back on and what i also what what i think makes it so that we do actually cover the mid game it's just that the mid game is the sum total of all of the faction guide advice that we have that's like in the middle right. of the episode. Yeah. All the stuff like, yeah, after we've laid out all the things and we're just like, let's talk about trade for a while. What are we even talking about when we talk about trade or whatever? Right. I agree. Well, let's take a quick little break and we come back. Let's actually lay down some like rubrics and maybe answer some questions about the mid game to get a better sense of what this ambiguous time that takes up six hours of our eight hour board game, what that actually is. Yeah, I do have a lot of questions, so that'd be great if we got <laughs> there. Hi, welcome back. Hi, it's us. What's up? Did you, uh, during your break, I think you should have gone, and this is me retroactively telling you this. Did you buy your ticket for the Portland show yet? Go do that real quick. Before we start the actual thing, here's your reminder. Go buy your Portland ticket. You should have done that during the break. We gave you a perfect little minute to go do it, and then you could have been done with that already. So go do that, all right? All right. You could have already done that. I mean, of course, you know, if you're going, that is, you know, don't just. Well, I mean, hey, you know what? Hey, you could do whatever you want. I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop you. You just encourage people to buy tickets to a show they're not even going to. Why would we even want that? Scalp them, you know? Let's scalp some people. No. What are you doing? At our show that will not sell out and there would be no reason to buy an overpriced ticket. Yes. Go, go. But it might be cool because you could get someone cool's ticket. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. RYs needs to scalp a ticket and then you could have RYs's ticket to our show. RYs's ticket and then that night we refer to you we talk to you as if you are our wise and you are not that would be great right great uh so okay we have loosely defined the mid game as the time between the custodians is taken and before you know how you're getting to 10 points right 
this is sort of the where the mid game exists after custodians before you know how you're getting to 10. Um, mm-hmm. So what are the things we are doing to best utilize our time in the mid game? Because we don't know how the game is going to end, right? We don't know how these things are going to come up. So we're just trying to maintain some level of relevancy within the game, right? So, um, I mean, obviously we're just like, we are scoring. We need to score a public every single round. That's just true across the board in TI. That's that's every single phase of the game. You need to score, right? You need to score round one if you can. You need to score round two if you can, etc. But I think something that's notable about the mid game is that a lot of things are actually defined by your secret objectives more than anything else in the game. Because especially if we compare that to public objectives, public objectives, let's assume you did score round one, right? And then a a third public objective was revealed at the end of round one. Going into round two, custodians was taken. You've scored one. There are two public objectives for you to score. There's an option, right? And that's going to maintain throughout the entire rest of the round unless you do an imperial swing, which is like, it's all whole other thing. But in general, you're going to have two points on the table to score. And a lot of people don't even score round one, right? Not a lot, but I don't know. Maybe 20 to 50% of people probably don't score round ones uh, in in each game. So you might have three objectives every single round that are viable for you to score. That Mm -hmm. is a lot of wiggle room generally speaking obviously it depends on the objectives but looking at three objectives and knowing you could either raise a fleet have two tech and two colors or expand to exactly these types of planets you need six planets outside our home or something figuring out which of those three things to do is a lot of flexibility at your disposal now you might be able to instantly write off one of those like oh the two tech and two colors isn't happening right away but it'll happen later for me but in general public's are a very flexible thing. But to get to 10 points, we almost always work on the assumption that you probably need to score all three of your secrets in the game. And secrets get doled out even slower than public objectives. You start with one, and you maybe don't, like, Imperial doesn't get taken round one. So it's, sometimes you only see three secrets in an entire game, right? Like, you might only draw right. off of Imperial twice. Hopefully that's not what happens, but that that is plenty common that you only see three so you have to make these things count and your decision on how to sort of map out the game i think is based around your secrets there are a lot of status phase secret objectives that take multiple rounds to do it's really hard to just turn on a dime and have nine ground forces on a planet not with a unit with production or not with a space yeah, dock yeah. or whatever, right? Like that's extraordinarily yeah. hard to do in a single round for PDS. That takes a lot of time. All of the tech objectives that are secret objectives take like substantial time to execute. And even outside of that, some of the ones where you like, you look at it and you're like, I'm not even going to do that. I'm not a PDS faction. I didn't do construction around one. And then I drew four PDS in round two. I don't want to do that. But even the time it takes to cycle out that secret objective is something you have to plan for. You know you must draw a fourth secret objective to get potentially get rid of four PDS, right? So secrets have such a longer sort of time of attack <laughs> to accomplish. A big part of your mid game is specifically setting up your plan. If you're looking for something to do, in the mid game, because you can look at the public and you'll be like, I know I can score that. I'll, that that seems settled. I just need to spend five trade goods and I've got five sitting right here in front of me. Easy. Well, the thing you should be spending your time on 
is looking at your secrets and figuring out how you're going to do those. Whether it be scoring it this round right now or doing the steps necessary this round to be able to do it next round or even the round after that, right? Like sometimes you have to think about round two to then score a secret in status phase round four. It can take that long to score a single secret and you have to sort of set up all of the parts of the plan to get you there. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to, you got to score points and you got to, like a lot of them are going to take a lot of time and the time that you invest is in the mid game. Yeah. Is in the time. That's when you do the time to invest in <laughs> the scoring of well, the points. Because so many of them, the late game, it's just like, you can't just, that's why the idea of like, drawing a new secret in round five and hoping to score it i mean we generally regard that as like uh-oh <laughs> territory right like that's right. not a good position to be in to just like suddenly need to draw a new secret you're just you're literally at that point hoping that rng saves you 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 just need randomness to gift you with a win or whatever yeah yeah that's never a good place to be uh round five you're gonna have to deal with Im the imperial player uh, who may win in the action phase. So yeah, of course. You yep. need to score your secrets. You need to plan to score your secrets. Secrets take time. Uh, this all makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think the next thing in the pecking order then is actually choosing, obviously, that sequence of which public objectives you are prioritizing. Now, this is like a simple thing we've covered like in an objective episode. We like kind of ranked which ones you're trying to save for last, right? Like you really want to save tech objectives for dead last because it's an auto score. Spendies you want to save for later because it's better to spend money on plastic that you have access to. And then all you have to do is just like spend some planets in the final round if that's what it comes down to or whatever. So there are harder control objectives that you, you need and want to do. The question, and something I saw people really debating in the pre-errata, and it wasn't always specifically worded as being about public objectives, but it is about like how much aggression is too much aggression for the mid game. Like how hard should I be pushing myself in the mid game to accomplish various things? And I think we've I, in the discussions, I saw a lot of talk about like people who are just sitting comfortable. Should you stretch a little wide? Right. Should you just like expand into equidistance almost arbitrarily? Should you go around doing some sort of pre wind slang, slow down other people's games? And I think all of those things are tricky to sort of like suss out. And we'll talk even more about aggression in the mid game. But as it relates to points, I think the mental math that you can do about scoring a hard point is generally speaking, it is probably worth it to push yourself a little bit to get some hard control objectives, right? You don't necessarily just want to sit in your slice. Now, this could be acts of aggression, or this can be the what we refer to as like boat floating meta, you know, trade points for points. What people are actually doing is just avoiding spending plastic arbitrarily. They're, they're turning that plastic into a point of negotiation to say, you help me score this control objective, I'll scratch your back in this other way. Um... But especially in the aggressive manner, the hard points that you want to score, it depends on a few factors, right? How much plastic can you even commit to that attack? What can actually get there? And how open does it leave you to counterattack? Whether it be in the new spot you went to, right? If you're only getting there with like, a, this is why we don't like Cruiser 2, generally speaking, right? Is a Cruiser 2 gets somewhere, takes the mm -hmm. thing, 
but then the person just retaliates with more stuff because all their stuff is surrounding that system or whatever. So it can be really hard to just pull off these clever snipes with Cruiser 2s because it leaves you nothing on the counterattack. Or what are you leaving completely exposed in your own slice for somebody else to come take? And so those two are like obvious factors, right? Of just like, I don't know, how hard is it to score the point? Doi, let's, let's do the battle calculator math. But the other thing to factor into this is how much harder will that same point be that you must score? You probably must score all five stage ones. And yes, it's difficult now, but how much harder is that same public objective going to be in a future round? I think the best example of this is the one where you have to have more planets than neighbors, right? You have to have more planets than two neighbors. That Mm -hmm. is an objective that I think notably in the mid game, like very often only gets harder and harder to do if you're trying to score that right out the gate, it, it can sometimes be quite easy to get just enough planets ahead of two neighbors, right? Because everybody's just sort of done their early game expanding. But later in the game, it can be much more difficult to find positions that are possible to take because people have put more plastic there. So you need even more plastic to combat their plastic. And you just have more people with like uh, an insurmountable amount of planets. Whereas like in round two, you know, everybody's kind of at that, like, five-planet threshold for that objective or whatever. I don't know. It depends on what faction you're playing, like, when you would try and score something like push boundaries. I think, in general, that's kind of my feeling on a lot of the things that you're saying, if I were to just do a mass descent to the whole thing, Mm -hmm. would be that this is probably not the best way to think about Twilight Imperium in general, and that it you really got to stay in the faction mindset. Uh Uh-huh. Because a lot of this stuff, a lot of these like kind of more general things, they don't apply to every faction evenly. Okay. Push boundaries is best thought about based off what, who am I yeah. in the situation? Um, because what you just said about, you know, wait, waiting on it, scoring it later. If I'm Argent, obviously I don't care. I'm not. I'll score, I'll score right. push boundaries right away. Right. Uh, if I have if I have one planet in my home system, well then pro- I, pro- I don't have a natural advantage to push boundaries. But then we got to factor in slice. So it's really just about like taking these general things and then thinking about how your situation differs right. or or is it like taking it's 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 like do we want to teach people how to think or do we want to say general things that just sound correct? Uh huh. Because I think I I think trying to put yourself in the situation. And just like, you know, take stock of it, of where you're at by noticing what is exceptional about your your situation is more important. That, like, for example, with aggression. Uh, yes, obviously, in the mid game, uh, point blocking, taking something away from your opponents is going to possibly help you win, but it also might not. Mm-hmm. Like. The idea of oh my my neighbor let's say let's say my neighbor has tempo on me they 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 got custodians or something they're set up uh, to win this game and let's say everybody else doesn't no one else has any bonus points there's no shard there's no obsidian out there right uh, it's just a bunch of people that are at basically the same level yeah and I can in round three stop them from scoring any point okay well that brings their tempo down to the same tempo as everybody else well then we get to round five round five now all of a sudden like there's really only like maybe the player with imperial is like suddenly the only one right. with a shot that's just one player that needs to be winslayed i feel like depending on my position i might not even want that 
Yeah. Like I might not want there to be one person. I might want there to be several people that needs to be Winslade, depending on what factions are available and where my tempo is at and where speaker is compared to where I am. Yeah. Okay. So like we have a lot of Winslade power, then maybe I don't even want a point block in round three because I'm like, no, I want this person to be doing good. Yeah. So that we use all our Winslade power on getting rid of that person. Right. And there and will I'm be no one left. Yeah. To, yeah. To take, to take on myself. Right. So I don't know. It depends so much on factors like especially faction. I think that's one of the reasons that I have trouble in conversations where we are letting faction go out the window. We're not worried about faction in this. We're mm -hmm. just talking about the mid game. Well, but now all of a sudden I feel like I don't have enough information yeah. to think anything about anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, think, I, I think I always lean more uh generalistic anyways and and to, to a fault because of what happens to me so often in games is i'm thinking about all these general concepts so much that i literally forget my own faction abilities and there have been plenty of games where i'm just like i forgot to use that agent for two rounds because i just wasn't yeah. i wasn't thinking about my faction enough or whatever right and is it is it more important for you to play matt or your faction right and i my my point of view is it's more important to play your faction to mm -hmm. play into your specific abilities now every player has like their own biases sure. and you can't really like get rid of those right sure. but that's just what uh, makes you better at a faction i think is kind of how maybe you might like see that in, in in a certain sense right i think that if you watched me play a bunch you would you would be like okay so here's like generally what this player likes uh-huh um, and, and like where their biases lay. I think, I think that would still be very evident, but hopefully you also see a lot of adjustment for the situation plus the faction. There's like right. a synthesis of where you're at, yeah. what randomness has, has occurred and what your faction is good or bad at. Right. And hopefully you're kind of synthesizing all of that into a winning strategy, yeah. um, or you just got bad luck and then you lose. And there's nothing you can do about that. Right, you just right. lose. Sometimes well, man, you just lose. I tell you, yeah, I, all of these conversations, I think, never state enough how much sometimes the game's just not yours, huh? <laughs> like, I think we've all sat Absolutely. at that table where it's like, oh, there's no, there's actually no way I'm winning this game. And I, and I just know that from from round four onward or something, you know, just so, something bad enough happens to you that that's just going to be the end of it. That happened in a, I keep re referencing this Alliance game, but it's because it took me four months. Okay. I thought about it a lot. So yeah, <laughs> give me some, but, uh, Rwise and I got off to like a massive lead, but then by like by the end of like I think that game went to round seven maybe by the end of round five or maybe even the beginning of round five I knew I was toast like I knew it was over there was no way to ever claw back because it was just like what stage two am I ever going to be able to score <laughs> basically was the right. conversation it would take so much effort to ever climb back from this and the people my neighbors are only getting further ahead that's they're not going to stop getting ahead they, they have right. my entire slice in their pocket like they're sitting on my stuff so you, you there are times when you know that stuff I think um it is helpful to recognize when you are officially going for stage twos to sort of like try and mark that moment which it and it changes and sometimes it gets reversed like it it, it can be undone and suddenly you're not mm. just going for stage twos and you're playing a new game but setting up a moment when you try to think about this is now a stage two game helps reroute what your priorities are right yeah the second you're definitely looking for a stage two and you can look around the table and see that other players aren't 
well, that's a new focus, isn't it? I need them to need the stage two as well, or I need them right. to not be able to score as fast. So right. kind of signposting that is probably quite important. So what are some features we can look for to recognize, uh-oh, it's stage two time? The most important one and obvious one is just, I didn't get the custodians, right? If you get custodians, you don't need a stage two, probably. Unless, I mean, what we, mm -hmm. what we assume is custodians and support for the throne, right? And then right. five stage ones, three secrets. That's like the easiest path to 10 points. Not that it's, it's not even the most common path to 10 points, mind you. As we found out with tournament statistics, more people win with stage twos than this other path. But the like the baseline cheapest way to get there is this other thing, okay? So if you don't have custodians, you're probably already thinking about stage twos. And so then the rest is going to be about bonus point stuff. And a big factor I wanted to bring up in this is because Hunter and I were sort of prepping this episode and this almost got waffled on even being a point, but Hunter, you brought up something specifically that like I just hadn't clicked into yet. And I think it's important for people to know is Bonus points aren't everything in this conversation. You can't just count, I got my bonus point, I have the path to 10, right? That, that That's not enough. There are many things that factor into needing stage twos because sometimes I get, I can trick myself and think, Mechatol's sitting right there at any point. All I would need to do is take Imperial and take Mechatol and get the bonus point, right? So technically right. speaking, at all points in the game, a bonus point is available to me just depends on how much plastic I have and, and my speaker order to get Imperial or whatever. But a key reminder is Mechatol bonus points cost you a secret, right? If you do the bonus point, you do not draw the secret. And so the big thing that we always talk about in commentary is that factor. If someone got that bonus point, but it didn't solve their speaker tempo at all, which means they still need Imperial to get taken by two other players to get even up to their third secret, and then they need all three of those secrets to have been scorable from the get-go, which is not always the case, which means you need like an extra round worth of someone taking Imperial, which is a very dangerous thing. So then the big other factor, of course, and the reason we talk about one of the new texts we talk about all the time is, so can I get more secrets somewhere else? And that's why we like Dark Energy Tap so much, is because it makes some other strategies, like a Mechatol bonus point, a more reliable thing. The cycling of secret objectives is not just to get better, easier secret objectives. It's also sometimes to fix ruined secret objective tempo, basically. Yeah. Um, think about it like this. Let's paint a specific. Um, let's say you're playing a game uh, and you draw two secrets at the beginning. Let's say you get, um, let's say an easy action phase. Let's say you get demonstrate your power, yeah. which is just have win a combat with uh, three ships. Um, let's say you do not get custodians. Uh, through no fault of your own, you just don't, you weren't in the right spot um, to get it. It's now round two. You get Imperials left to you, and whoever took Custodians went in pretty light. Um, it will be easy. Maybe they'll even negotiate with you. They're like, yeah. oh, yeah, whatever. I'll just leave, and then you can take... Uh, can, can I spend it? I want to spend it first, or whatever. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, fine. You agree to that. You do it. And then you go. You come in, and you, you get... Your, your bonus point out of the way. I actually think that's a great scenario. Even if you don't do uh, public, let's say, let's say you don't even get the extra public score, although obviously if you can, uh, that would be uh, better. Um, that is a situation where I'm totally down to get behind on Secret Tempo because I already have an yeah. easy one and it's an action phase secret, which means right. I can score it pretty much anytime I want. And you did it very early. We're talking about round two. There's many rounds where Imperial still can get taken, right? losing out on a secret in round four is very different than losing out on a secret in round two i think i i think that's quite a different set of circumstances it's a little bit scary 
I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. In, in, in some ways, I, in adding more detail to it, I even think like, oh, I don't know. Because you're going to get the round three draw off Imperial being taken, and then you're going to get round four draw off Imperial being taken, and then that's three, and you've only, yeah, that's, that's all you have. And so yeah. they all pretty much need to be perfect until you get to round five. But let's say you're doing this and you also have kind of a, uh, an eye on speaker. If your t speaker tempo is okay, then needing an, a secret objective in, like let's say you need a secret objective in round five, but you're the one with Imperial. Yeah. That's okay because you can also sub in another Imperial point. Right. You're also taking Mechatol Rex, which does have a value in and of yeah. itself. I played a game recently where um, Rwise was playing a soul, funny enough, uh, and had Mechatol Rex for pretty much the entire game. And we just let Rwise do that. And yeah. that was bad. And we, <laughs> we all messed up and not doing anything about that because Mechatol Rex is, last I checked, worth six influence yeah and last i checked soul gets one command counter for free right every status phase anyway that's so that's three token economy. extra command counter yeah it but i mean i was playing a sardak so it's not my fault at all <laughs> and i can just blame all the other players in that game uh for for not doing anything about it if i'm playing a sardak i have no table responsibility in my opinion i am just out for myself and i am totally fine to do that and if anybody says hunter blah blah blah, you could have done this no i couldn't have yeah all right i was playing a sardak <laughs> playing for myself yeah i do not play sardak for you okay uh so the the last thing to all of this though is to also not get too comfortable because like i said uh your need for a stage two can literally get reversed i mean listen seed of an empire can come out in the round four agenda phase and completely reshape what round five looks like altogether. right guac has a way of showing up shard of the throne can show up and suddenly all you have to do is take shard from somebody else if you want to set up for it so and, and that that's like a whole thing you could go off on like a very long tangent about right is like oh if shard of the throne is in the game like everybody technically has a bonus point available to them if they choose to be aggressive enough or whatever that's we don't have to like go into all the details of how you set up to take another player's home system or legendary planet or whatever but the idea being obviously you have to look out for these other bonus points sort of popping up out of nowhere and then being prepared to swivel back into uh oh i don't actually need stage twos to win but honestly what's sometimes the most comfortable position is getting set up for that stage two that does come out f for round five and not needing it like those are the most comfortable wins actually like the the the, mm -hmm. the staunchest just like they had it locked up through and through is the one where they might score the stage two and if they don't there's an easy fallback plan because the stage ones and the bonus points have found a way to turn up or whatever yeah the best is having multiple ways to add up to 10 points in total right. but i mean how much control you have over right. that not a whole lot no um but you know hopefully hopefully if you just kind of do a, even a conservative idea of what is correct yeah uh you'll at least have the opportunity in round five to add up to 10 now right. i don't know if you have the speaker order or anything like that but yeah i don't know also there's a lot to think about with decisions you can make in the mid game that are going to affect how the win slay phase of yeah. the game plays out right right um, there are a lot of people that i think are interested in the idea of trying to win slay someone early mm -hmm. uh and i am entirely unconvinced that that is actually a good idea right 
um, without having like a specific, like a really specific set of circumstances in front of me. It's yeah. really hard for me to kind of sign on well, to that. So. And, and and I'm coming over time more and more around to this idea that it's not about windslaying someone early. It's about recognizing the people that need to be windslayed in round three and keeping that in mind and letting that guide how you then eventually will approach round five. Um, I liked Duke Lukum's summary of sort of this concept that you're, you're getting up to, which is round three and four is basically just score a point in a secret set up to take your right neighbor's home system. <laughs> like it, if we're talking <laughs> about the Winslow carousel, it's like the best thing you can do to waste a little bit of time is just at least be positioned where their home system is accessible to you or and and i think we even say home system but i mean it more nebulous than that to stop a potential point of theirs if there's a if there's a control objective you know they're going to need to go for if you can be ready to get in the way of that but not get in the way yet but be ready to like that's obviously a helpful step because then when it comes time for winslay carousel stuff you are a part of the conversation you always want to be a part of the winslay conversation in that end game and the biggest hope is that it actually leads to you getting that sneaky win because you were third in the carousel and they failed to deal with you or whatever um but I, what was a funny point that you and i were talking about too we talked we were, we're kind of getting back into this aggression conversation and there was a debate of like and i saw this in the pre erata too a lot of people talking about like positioning and and i was really fixated on like well what how much focus should i have on like getting my forward space dock into like a really relevant position and one of your counterpoints, Hunter, was like, I don't know, man, galvanize the people. I think that's the one, right? The spend six tokens is one of the stage mm -hmm. twos that can come up. So there is an argument to be made that every act affects some public objective positively and negatively, right? Mm -hmm. Doing something to go get some forward position so that maybe you can get six planets of the same trait later costs you a token. And if the token right. objective comes out, that looks like that was a bad move. You didn't know that. That's why it was a part of the mid game to just like be blindly choosing to do things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, just never underestimate uh, the choice of not doing something, right? Uh, because in Twilight Imperium, there there is always the value in just uh, how about we don't do anything yeah. <laughs> and just keep our money and go home, you right? Know? Right. So I don't know. Uh, that's that's really tough. That's really tough in the abstract, I think, uh, without having a particular component to, like, anchor yeah. the idea. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, if we had, like, a scenario, like, let's say there was a scenario of, like, you have sling. Let's say you have sling, and you're like, I want to build a forward space dock on round four, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm going to do that by taking so-and-so's planet. Yeah. I can almost make an argument of like, oh, that sounds kind of good without knowing any of the other stuff. Let's leave all the other stuff. Let's sure. say the other stuff is ambiguously good for this idea. I think that's kind of what I'm talking about or like what I need is some sort of like, because Sling provides a lot of uh, like flexibility, Yeah, you know? Uh, we get into round five and we learn that actually this is the flagship thing. Oh, cool. Now this all seems genius. Yeah. Um, if we learn, if we draw a secret uh, that requires destroyers and we didn't have any before. Oh, now this is great. Right. Uh, you know, it, being able to like almost see the matrix in that way sure. of like all of the different little small probabilities that this action might affect is really important. 
Um, and you kind of always have to factor it against like not doing something, right? Basically, right. not doing something at all. Well, and you you brought up flexibility in that, and I do think that's the crux to all of this, and and why you know you Hunter lean on as you've expressed in in this episode today, like you lean on. Well, I have some known variables because I know what my faction can do, right? Though that's my known. Mm-hmm. That's the known quantities. Is my faction can do this, and everything else is trying to set up for flexibility. Because realistically, again, the mid game is sort of defined by. I don't know if I need a stage two or not. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I can do the stage two or not. We're sort of waiting around to know if I can do stuff. Which means what I'm actually setting up for is the most potential to flex into whatever board state the game presents me with right which is why we like things like blue tech blue tech is a tech tree defined by positional flexibility with with slower techs you need to already be next to where you need to go but with a bunch of blue tech you can get three spaces away from allotted from positions which is why it's better it's because it's not because getting around the whole board all day long was so much better it's when i needed the flexibility most in round five i had access to it and that's what makes things good it's also like why so many of our opinions have turned on like nasroka we always thought nasroka was pretty good but seeing how much players get away with the flexibility of rolling a bunch of dice and spinning a bunch of roulette wheels like that is an additional layer of flexibility to their point potential that other Mm -hmm. factions do not possess and so we look at nasroka nowadays and we go they're really great because they can pull off stuff that nobody else can do with more reliability than other factions can yeah how do you figure the odds of nasroka winning a game like how many little probabilities do you need (laughs) to factor in um i don't know i'm not a math person (laughs) Uh, but it does seem like a lot that's a lot of coin flips that are happening in one game for nasroka and they can decide to do those coin flips at like late intervals they can just bank these fragments and either turn them into tokens for actions or turn them into dice rolls as shard pulls and stuff like that so yeah i mean i i think that's what this episode was set out to define is is what is the mid game and and the point of it is to say it's this it's this open-ended very tricky thing to navigate which is why it's understandable that like we sort of harp on it so much because it's just like it's the part of the game where literally anything can happen and that's what makes it so difficult and that's why this wasn't a guide today this this isn't a guide because um the act of playing twilight imperium is the puzzle of solving the mid game right the only known quantities are your faction at startup and the fact that you need 10 points at the end and where like in round five, how you are relative to that scoring order. Who's going to who's going to win first or whatever. Those are like absolutes. Everything else is literally just the act of playing TI and it's different every single game. And it's why this game is so replayable to us is if we could easily answer this, like, how do you play the mid game thing? We would have build orders for the mid game and it would get boring to play right it would become boring if we just like knew every faction does kind of exactly this in the mid game because then there wouldn't be any creativity to the game anymore oh yeah that's interesting is is there actually so people talk about whether twilight imperium is solvable or not Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's solvable for like a human but i wonder if you could have like an artificial intelligence give you like spit out like spreadsheets Uh uh-huh 
that showed you the optimal play for every single moment and how often that would add up to victory. Right. Like if you did the quote unquote <laughs> right thing yeah. every single time right. based on probabilities, how often would you win? Um, I bet you would win about one in six <laughs> of the game if you did that. <laughs> So that is my exactly. contribution to this conversation. I think if you even did everything right, yeah. you have a one in six shot. Right. It sounds awesome. Right. It's one out of six times, you're yeah. going to be the well, best yeah, exactly. bell of the ball. You, if anything, that's like the expectation, right? Is to do closely to, you know, what is roughly the most optimal. And there's probably like a few things that are in the most optimal territory. The best players, the players that we somehow see doing well in the Invitational and we see doing well across tournaments, right? We have plenty of people that have lots of repeat wins. Like there are people that are obviously very good at this game, right. but the playing optimally is almost the baseline. And then it's the really crazy, wacky, creative stuff and just the sheer luck of it all that leads to like a bunch of extra wins you know is magi the greatest player in ti history or is he the luckiest ti player in history i'll let you decide you know i think it might come down to heuristics i think different players have different heuristics that they use yeah um that correlate to like specific probability windows right. like they're like i I kind of do, I play like this and when these types of probabilities come up, I know how to recognize them and kind of jump in them. Mm. But I actually don't, I don't think there is a player that can see the whole matrix. Right. So I don't, I actually don't think anyone, I, I, I don't think there is a player that plays the whole thing optimally. Right. Um, and because I feel like the, I don't even know what that would look like. Right. Um, but yeah, let's uh let's get an artificial intelligence on it. Those are hot right now. Let's get an AI that spits out probabilities and let's consult them for every action mm -hmm. and then just see like what it tells us to do. Yeah. I wonder what it would say. I I, I think we need to get some people. Daryl, can we get Daryl on this one? <laughs> Does Daryl not have designed AIs? This is another episode where we say that Daryl should be turned into a robot. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Or more of a robot than he already is, probably. Hey, guess what? I want to thank our weird bears for joining us on all this. Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish, Emu, Brassbird, Cabal of Soul, Kaluan, Daryl, Jadim, Jedi, Carnal, John, Necrodice Twice, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky, M44, RYs, Ryan, and Spirit Thing. And want to thank our Teensy Sprouts, Patience is a Virtue, Ethan from Cardboard Crash Course, Baldrick, Tautology is what it is, Kraken, Frank G, Rekka, General Pith, my son is also named Bort, Uncle Batty, Savant, and Vince. Hunter, I've got a very uh, abbreviated homebrew review for you today. It's a very, very Heck small yeah. one. It's very funny Let's to do me. it. This one, I, I went, I, I've been pulling deeper. Hey, Homebrewers Guild, keep sending stuff. I will say this much. The big, chunky, I designed an entire new action card suite, or I designed a whole new relic deck. Those are cool projects. Those are much harder for me to cover in a homebrew review. Maybe even like present them in sections in, in proposed segments and we could cover them over like a couple weeks or something. I don't know. But I've been gravitating towards like, here's one thing. Here's a, here's a card. Here's a component. And this week's is from Wecker. Wecker gives us this action card. And, and let's see how this sits with you. It's called Facsimile Fabrication. At the start of your turn, spend eight influence and choose one relic in another player's area. Until the end of your turn, this card has that relic's ability text. At the end of your turn, discard 
this card. Cool. <laughs> Just cool. Yeah, no, that's really cool. You could get um, shard for... Yeah. A for the 10th point, just like the, the second you need it, you're at nine, you're sitting on nine, and then you just action card for the win with a with a, a fake shard for just a moment. Yeah. You could, you know, here, actually, this is way cooler. Uh, you could get obsidian for one turn <laughs> and use it to draw a secret objective, and if it's an action phase, you can score, score that point. That's hilarious. Yeah, you'd have to maybe slightly reword it to, like, uh, uh, choose a relic as if you just drew it or something right because because the yeah, obsidian wait. is like when you get it but anyways I, I think we assume that that is part of it is that like you do the obsidian the second you get it and then you have four but then you're going to discard at the end of your turn like you will discard down on your on your secrets after the turn you won't have four after that or whatever um yeah but there are rules that limit how many secrets you can score you can only score three secrets so if you don't keep obsidian, then you actually can still only score. Well, but three, it's but so. at that so the, the situation is an action phase for the win. You draw and needed an action phase for the win. You use this action <laughs> card to you just needed it, and then you just needed and you happened to draw the action phase that you can do right now for the win. That's that's yeah. the, that's the beautiful moment. I like it too, just for like um I mean I wish relics were tradable. That's a thing for me just in general. Is I've so many things in the game are tradable, but you cannot trade a relic. I think that's a little wacky. I wish um I think Crown of Amphidia is more interesting if you can trade it. Maybe that's um, maybe that's controversial. Yeah. But like, if I could give the crown to the person with the tomb and that could come at a price, like, okay, mm -hmm. now we're talking. I, I hate that the crown is just like, that's mine now and I'm either getting the tomb or I'm not or whatever. Right, um, right. So I would love for relics to be tradable, but this is like half a half measure of that. I also just think it makes Dominus Orb cool because uh, other people can do Dominus Orb and I think that's great. I think it would I think it makes Dominus Orb better if other people can potentially do some Dominus Orb stuff. Yeah, I honestly question the spend eight influence part. Right. So why why do you have to spend it spend anything at all? Let's just like get this in there. <laughs> just let it be a victory it, point sometimes. <laughs> well just let it yeah, this is an action card that just goes hog wild and, <laughs> and you just you play it and then you get the use of this relic that you yeah. shouldn't have. And then you discard it. I, so, would, I mean, yeah. I would like us to refine the action card deck back down to all hits and make it less of them as well, right? I would, I would like us to mine the action card deck and get maybe even back into that world where we draw more action cards than there are cards in the deck. I don't know. Do you, did you prefer that time in no. in the world? You didn't. You like it when there's no, too I, many, and you don't. I like it when there's too many. There's I not really didn't like it. In, in base game, the fact that you could count on every single action card being drawn. Right. Just, I don't know. It, it was sucked it, the fun out where of the real problem me. was you knew public disgrace was there. Like you knew yeah. for a fact yeah. public disgrace was there and that was going to be a factor. And you knew Imperial Rider would get played at some point, although that wasn't as big of a thing. But like political stability and public disgrace, those are for a fact getting played. So that I agree. That's annoying. I would like it to maybe stay around 100 cards, but they're just all bangers. And then like going for action cards is good for everybody, not just a sorrel or whatever. Um, that would be nice. Honestly, of the components that I would like do an overhaul of, I actually feel like action cards are maybe not that for me. Like yeah. I would, I would much faster overhaul the agendas sure. than I would the action card deck. I'd be down to just leave the action card deck the way it is. Yeah. But yeah, we need, we need, we need the agenda phase, just a complete overhaul of it. It needs to be more fun Yeah. because it, more it's something we take, we take so much time out of a game to do the agenda phase and i feel like yep. you know it just isn't always worth it speaking of the agenda phase <gasps> welcome to the agenda phase <laughs> uh this is a segment of the show where we have asked galactic counselors to just ask us questions and then we answer them whoa 
easy, simple. It's like a mailbag segment, except we call it agenda phase for some reason, even though that doesn't really make sense, does it? <laughs> uh, first one is from El Blasto. Do you think that there's a strategic advantage to being nice in Twilight Imperium? Um, in parenthesis, uh, they've written washing, letting score for little to no cost, etc. So yep. like, you know, when I just wash, like, you know, you get, you draw an industrial explorer, you get like one commodity and I just wash it for free. Right. Is there a strategic advantage to doing stuff like that? What do you think, Matt? I would lean yes. I think the main advantages of those sorts of things are less strategic and more good for vibes, good for just like the game in general. But... If you follow the Big Al line of thinking, the best scenario a game can actually end up in is that all six players have a relevant shot at winning in the end. Like, the, what right. stinks is when one person is just completely cut out. And not just from a like, oh, that's sad for them. It's like, no, 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 that person is a foil <laughs> for somebody. Like, that, that person that's out is a problem for somebody, and it's not going to feel good. And it's a strategic disadvantage to have something like that laying around that can strike you in the back, right? So the idea of nicely making sure everybody's going to get to that 55-point game, we all get to 9 points, and then one person gets to 10, I do think there's some strategic merit to that of just, like, it makes the wind slay carousel kind of a more interesting thing. I think it I, I think it actually upends the wind slay carousel in general. If all six players have a shot to win, those are the games where just like actually somebody wins it, right? Because we're not fighting to slay everybody else. The wind slay carousel happens when like three people have a shot and three don't. I is how kind of how I feel. But the games where too many people have a shot in round five. It's generally kind of a long round five, but somebody just comes out ahead of it, right? You don't see the round six in those situations because it's just too many people to stop. So everybody just puts on the blinders and, and horse races, goes goes for the finish line. Yeah, or some of them get stopped and then they right. just get to a player that they've run out of gas and can't, right. can't stop that player or whatever. Um, to answer the question, is there a strategic advantage to being nice? I think I would say that it depends on how nice your group is. <laughs> if everyone is nice, right. then yeah, definitely. Yep. Everyone is mean, probably not. Right. There's definitely not much of an advantage in being nice to someone who isn't going to be nice back. Right. Uh, so read the room. Take yeah. the temperature of your friends. If you're uh, you know, continental European, don't be nice to anybody, <laughs> you know? And if you're American or Canadian, uh, then be probably too nice and give right. away the game. There we go. We can all play our we roles. We can all agree that. Uh, next up is one from Murky. How could the game be changed to have a 6 p.m. game complete in four to five hours, losing the least amount of Twilight Imperium experience? I think this episode is a testament to that idea. The mid-game is the most just sort of sitting around, waiting to see how things are going to turn out. Honestly, my most controversial opinion if you played this game to maybe seven or eight points, you would cut out all of the mid-game chaff, but you would still have round four wind slays and round one goofy races for custodians. Everything would mm -hmm. be... I think the more the game is a race is the only way to shorten it, right? The second you need lots of people to be constantly thinking about stopping each other, that's why the game goes long. So right. if it's, listen, everybody can easily find their way to those eight points. There's not a lot you can do to get in each other's way. And it's just about how quickly can you accomplish your goals. That is, that is one way. Yeah. 
It's a shame we don't have anything like simulated early turns, right. like what we had in uh, Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition. Uh, that would maybe be something you could potentially throw at TI4 in a way to just kind of shorten the early game. But yeah. what sucks is the early game does feel kind of critical. It's fun, too. I like the early. It's it's kind of yeah, my favorite too. phase because it's just like you're doing the, the goofiest. I wish we had more plays of the week that were just a, just clever round one stuff. We always do plays of the week that are like right. for the win, but it's like we have round ones where it's like, whoa, they found their way to custodians. No one saw that coming. It didn't lead to a win, but holy cow, they pulled this whole crazy slew of events together. Um, did you see on, there was a post on Reddit and it's probably on like BGG and other places as well. Um, and I know they're hosting games on, um, tabletop simulator of this. Um, a user Ren42 came up with Twilight Continuum. This is something I think is worth trying and I think we should do a stream of sometime, but it's a TI4 variant that eliminates rounds by allowing players to pass and score at any time. So essentially, there's no status phase. We don't wait for everybody to hit a status phase and then I'll score. You are just sort of always playing an action phase and then doing a scoring step of your thing and then you sort of start into your next thing or whatever. I won't go into the, the nitty gritty details, but it is an enticing idea for cutting out the like stall fest stuff. If there's no need to wait till the end of the round to then try stuff to score, if you're just always doing actions that don't have it, like stalling goes out the window, which is like a huge culprit of the game going long, right? Is just people sort of waiting for more meaningful actions. Um, I think that's one very clever element to make the game not feel too wildly different, but probably speeding it up a lot. Yeah. I don't know how I would like to solve this problem. To be honest, I don't mind how long TI sure. is. Right. If everyone is like, if, cause to me, my games, especially if I'm playing with, you know, the people that I play with most of the time, they end up going about five or six right. hours, which to me is fine. Yeah. That, that's a good runtime uh, for a game. It's only, I only really start getting antsy once we get to like eight, which right. I realize is like fairly normal for a lot of people. Right. Um, but I just, I just like them a little bit faster. I, I like the feeling of the pace of the game as it is. Yeah. But when people, when people are playing with stakes, when people are playing for like tournament reasons, and the game has to go really long, it's gonna be like fourteen hours. I, I just, I don't really enjoy that. Yeah. Myself. Right. And I realize that it could mean, you know, if a group is consistently playing uh, six-hour games, it could mean that. They're not playing super optimally all the time. Yeah. I think that sacrifice is worth it to me, yeah, to be definitely. honest. Like, right. to, to play a little worse, yeah. but get the game done faster, I think is, it's yep. it's worthwhile. Yeah, the, you know? the best groups, in my experience, of just, like, having a good time playing TI is when everyone is at that high-performance tournament winner quality of player but it's a game they don't really care about very much. So right. when you have that round three is like a 40 minute round. Cause everyone's like, well, we know this doesn't matter. We're just sort of making the things happen. We scratch some backs. We do whatever. Right. We just get through it. We get through round three and four super, super fast. And we get to the meat, which is round five. And then we have extra time to like really sort of mess with the stuff in round five in a tournament game with all expert players. They're, they're taking every instance they can to make every moment matter, which means they care about every action in round two. They care about every action in round three. That's what makes it go so slow. But when it's like, let's not sweat the micro detail, like the little, little details, that stuff can fall by the wayside because all we're actually after is a cool, good endgame scenario. We just want that round five to be juicy and good. 
Right. Absolutely. Okay, let's do our last question. This is from Big Al Cappuccino. What pie do you buy yourself, and what qualities do you look for? Uh, with a follow-up question, what pie would you buy for the other if heading over to their place? What pie would you buy me, Matt? What pie would I buy Hunter? Man, I don't know what flavors you love most. Okay, my wife makes pies. So yep. first off, let me just let me let me dissent. Here's my dissent for the episode. I will not be buying a pie. Thank you very much. I will be very graciously asking my wife if I can have one of her extra pies to give to one of yes. my friends. Well, yeah, let's let's we'll change buy to acquire. <laughs> acquire a then, pie. And then that, you know, I was also thinking of acquire. I was thinking of um what what is the company called a little pie a little pie that's right. a little pie yeah mm -hmm. that's a that's little your, pie. your wife's company. that is also the preferred very, size very of pie a little pie i don't need a pie slice little give me, pie give me a little pie yeah give me a little just give pie. me a whole little pie um uh i like uh, i like a pumpkin pie Whoa. to be honest i'm a okay. big pumpkin pie guy that really surprises pumpkin. me actually really why i don't know pumpkin pie is contentious so it's just i i don't know i just think of i don't i don't know exactly what kind of person loves pumpkin pie but i wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed you were the kind of person that loves a pumpkin pie. Do you, yeah, I mean, do you like fruit freak. pies? Do you like apple, cherry, yeah, blueberry, yep. all that stuff? I like apple. Yeah. I like I like blueberry. I'll I'll but see I like all pies. That's the thing is right. I'm 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 a man of uh, of many pies. Mm -hmm. a man of name many a pie pies. I don't like. Yeah, you know. So the one I would want to give you the most though is my wife makes a baklava pie. It's like a pecan uh, pie, but instead of pecans, it's like the stuff that goes in box. It's like pistachio oh. and all that kind of business. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Yeah, that's, that my, sounds that's my chosen pie for you. It's also the chosen pie for me. Uh, it's a honey baklava. And the only substitution I make when it's for me is I want hot honey on top instead of regular honey. I want a little, mm, I, want a little I, want, I, I want kissed by the spiciness. Just, just, a, Ooh, just a little, a little bit. spicy kiss. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say pecan pie for you. That's what I was going to get you. So yeah. Is, is that is I just feel like when I, I think of you when I was growing up I didn't like pecan pie at all I've come around to it but that's because I have now had Katie's pies which are <laughs> really good <laughs> and uh, yeah what I've learned is I'm gonna I'll drag my dad here I don't care my dad doesn't make very good pie he makes great cobbler <gasps> he makes great cobbler he don't do pie he doesn't he just buys a pie crust you know what I mean he's not he's not out there making pie dough and turns out that's a critical critical element to the quality of a pie this comes Yo, as not new information to most pie lovers. For the record, I am not on this podcast. Okay, <laughs> if anybody asks, I was not on the one where we talked bad about Dave. Okay, <laughs> I am not here. If anybody asks, hey, do you know that episode where Matt starts talking uh, smack talk about Dave's pies? Uh, I was not there for that one, and I don't know what you're talking about. Is my official answer. That That's you'll good. be getting from my lawyer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey, uh, guess what? We it's time to do another Galactic Council poll too. We're sort of we're doing like halvesies on Galactic Council stuff these days. You know, we've got this agenda face thing that's fulfilling some Galactic fate, uh, Galactic Council poll stuff. We want to do Galactic Council segments, I think, like as shorter fare. But we would like to also do still do a few Galactic Council episodes proper. Uh, and we have a new poll for everybody with four options on that poll. Hunter, would you like to reveal yes. the options for that poll? All right, here are your options. Uh, this will be an episode that will be released in March, uh, probably like the third week of March. So you have a little bit of time, but voting is going to be happening from the release of this episode to, uh, through, I guess, uh, for like a couple weeks, maybe like two weeks um, you have. So please get in there, smash that like button on whichever episode idea you want us to do. First option. 
Twilight Imperium factions ranked goodest to evilest. This is a disaster. Okay? This is a oh let's let's let Matt and Hunter discuss morality for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna we we will sum each faction up based off the morality of their characteristics of their lore. Yeah. And we will do it as a continuum from goodest to evilest. So we start with the goodest. Yep. We slowly work through all 25 factions until we arrive at the evilest, mm-hmm. which of course is Jolnar for some reason. Um, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Uh, it's going to be a, it'll, it'll be a lore heavy, stupid episode, but it's a ranking episode. So you like that, don't you? <laughs> I know what you like. Uh, <laughs> next option. We homebrew a new set of promissory notes. Uh, we're talking a generic promissory notes. Yep. We think maybe they know so good, say they're not good. Right. They may be bad. And so maybe we do an episode where we imagine if they could be gooder. Right. Okay. If things we actually want to see, because the whole problem, how many arguments do we make for promissory notes where it's like, we'll never give away your ceasefire. You probably shouldn't give away your political secret either. And trade agreements kind of useless because you can just make the deal happen without it. So it's like, let's turn them all into things that actually find some sort of use in a generic faction absent sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how we'll figure that out, but it'll it'll be fun to kind of... uh, pontificate on those possibilities yeah um okay third option this one's real goofy you ain't gonna pick it but it's fun to pitch you an idea just in case (laughs) i'm not even sure how this episode would sound so just listen to the title we will explain okay don't freak out okay so we do a director's commentary or episode six (laughs) of space cats peace turtles which was if you don't know it's our first tier list yeah so I guess the way it would work is you would we would we would I, be, I have production. Would, I don't don't get lost <laughs> in the weeds. I would make this doable and not audio garbage. But Hunter and I yeah. would have a way to see our tier list, react to the tier list, and also be able to place some clips for the justification for why we said some things were the way they were. Yeah, I think it would be you'd be hearing us from the past and then us from the present commenting on it. Luckily. Uh, our audio quality is much better <laughs> now, yeah. so I don't think you will actually be confused as to if you're listening to Hunter and Matt from the past yeah. or Hunter and Matt from the present. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that will not be very confusing uh, because we used to record on a snowball, uh, and when I say a snowball, I mean one snowball <laughs> uh, microphone. Um, last option. This one's fairly straightforward and interesting, and I bet you'll pick it. Uh system tile tier list we go through all the system tiles in the game we make a tier list yep. for them what do you think yeah hmm? i'm counting i'm counting home systems and i'm counting the difference between one supernova and another all right yes that is part of it we're Each talking about something tile. like it's like 97 tiles or i don't even know what we got yeah. to by the end of pok but they'll all go on there buster yeah, we'll go nuts. Uh, it'll be a long episode. We'll have EJ on for some reason, uh, and we'll do. A he won't want to be there, but he'll be there. No, anyways. EJ, EJ, you're on this one. <laughs> System tile tier list. Let's go. Hey, you can happen. You can rate this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. Give us five stars and tell us how much you like EJ. That's what I want. I just want a bunch of compliments for EJ, my friend EJ. <gasps> just go compliment my friend EJ. Hey, I haven't said it on this show. EJ and I, if you don't get enough EJ in your life, EJ and I have a new show. Uh, yes. So you could go compliment EJ on that show as well. You could go listen to Just Dads Reading Books and also give us five stars over there. We never ask for five stars on that show because I don't remember to do it. I, we just don't think about 
um, asking people to, to review us, you should go listen to our other show and review it. We talk about children's books and young adult novels, and uh, we judge our children because they read nerdy stuff that we're like, hey, that's dumb. Uh, that's a dumb kid. So that's that's the vibe of that show. It's not actually. It's actually much more wholesome than that. They just did a episode recently about Guards, 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 uh, which is one of the uh, Ringworld yeah. uh, books. Terry Pratchett. Uh, by Terry Pratchett. Very good episode. Really liked it a lot. <laughs> uh, as a listener uh, and supporter of uh, Matt and EJ, um, they are the ones to pay attention to. Like <laughs> It is the definitive Space Cats, Peace Turtles project is just dads reading books. Uh, somehow the vibes are just better. I don't know. It's like the dynamic <laughs> is up. different in a way where it's like actually good instead of being like really bad, like Space Cats, Peace Turtles and Old Gamers Almanac. You can go to our website, spacecatspeaceturtles.com for information about our Patreon, our Discord, our merch. I happen to like talking with my friend Hunter quite a lot, actually. So oh, I love I, I, I love talking with you, Matt. Um, it's fantastic. I just wish I didn't drag it down so badly. <laughs> You can send us plays of the week to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. And uh, uh, I have two weeks in a row not giving you any tournament game recaps of the week. And it turns out every week I continue to not do that. The problem is exacerbated by a lot, like a yeah. lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, I swear to you, I will solve this problem. But you'll also note that I haven't done a radio lore episode in like months and months and months. So it turns out Matt's really bad about promising bonus episodes and then actually delivering those bonus episodes. But I am making it a solemn vow that tournament game recap bonus episode will come out. I'm very sorry that it's taking so long. Yeah, you better give them what they want, Matt. Otherwise, yeah. uh, they'll be heck to pay. And you know what? Uh, I'll say this, Matt. If you don't record uh -oh. the, the, the report of all the tournament games, I will... But I will make up the events <laughs> of the games. Okay, everyone. Okay? When I do get around to releasing this bonus episode, just nobody tell Hunter that I've done it. Everybody play it cool so that Hunter thinks it hasn't happened yet. And then we get both. Okay? We just, we need my bonus recaps and then we need Hunter's bogus bonus recaps as well. Hi, Hunter. Sorry, I was just talking to the audience real quick. You didn't hear any of that. Oh, I thought that was a map from the future and I was going to like not say anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I did actually hear that. That was not just for y'all. All right. Uh, oh, I just wanted to say real quick before we're done. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, if you listen to this whole episode, did you figure out what the mid game was? <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>